everybody. This is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and I am thrilled to be introducing three um, very talented creative people who, among other things, uh, work in the world of filmmaking. And um, we're talking about films that have been made about and here uh, in this region, and um, each one of them has a very interesting story to tell. So I'm going to jump right in and ask each of them to um, introduce themselves. Then we're going to talk about our little film fest that we are having. Uh, it's a first one, so it's going to be interesting to see how it all goes um, at the Crevasse 22, and hopefully we're going to continue to do some. So Kevin McCaffrey, why don't you start us off? Sure. Uh, thanks, Jean. And uh, I hope whoever can can come on out uh, Sunday and, and uh, experience this wonderful uh, location and art venue. Um, <clears throat> I'm Kevin McCaffrey. I've uh, been a document documentary filmmaker, uh, oral historian, researcher, writer. I've uh, been doing documentary work for uh, over 20, about 20 years, I guess, uh, here in Louisiana. Um, and I'm based in New Orleans. Um, you can see uh, my body of work uh, at my website, epriminemedia.com. Uh, and in the meantime, we're going to be screening uh, Mr. Going, Going, Gone. Mr. Go is the Mississippi River Gulf Outlet, um, which was a shipping channel that was started in the 60s uh, uh, and contributed greatly to uh, the demise of the uh, marsh and land buffer uh, around New Orleans and St. Bernard Parish, where this uh, screening is going to take place. Um, and well, let me let me um, interrupt you, Kevin, and, and I just want to get everybody uh, to give just a little brief introduction, and we're going to dig deeper into each of our films. But I think that the important of, uh, importance of what Kevin has just said um, underscores, in a way, what you're going to hear thematically uh, throughout our, our show today. And that is that, uh, you know, our place, our sense of place is um, really important to us here and it's threatened and we're all dealing with it in various ways. And that's kind of a, uh, a, a subtext to all of the films. Um, uh, Monique Verdan. Hi everyone. Um, really great to be here. And um, we'll be sharing our film uh, My Louisiana Love, which has actually been out in the world now for 10 years, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but this story uh, has many stories inside of it um, and is really putting a parenthesis around the last hundred or so years here in southeast Louisiana, um, specifically focused in the Yaknishido, so the big country found between the Atchafalaya and Mississippi, where um, the largest population of the Huma are still inhabiting the ends of the bayous there. And um, yeah, I mean, I think as Jean um, was saying when we were getting started, we're in the middle of a really wild and violent uh, thunderstorm here and uh, lightning cracking all around and definitely um, feeling those into summer doldrums. So I think it's really great that, um, you know, we, we can uh, gather in such a beautiful place like Crevasse 22. And that is 
my um, my home, uh, my family land is is just down the road from there. So if folks have not gotten off of the concrete lily pad and outside of city limits, it's um, it's a great drive downriver. <clears throat> I'm really grateful to be screening our story of many stories um, with uh, the other films that are going to be screened on Sunday. So thanks so much. So I um, have not seen Monique's film yet, but um, I've heard great things about it. So I'm really excited. And Kevin's uh, subject matter is extremely close to our hearts uh, now in, um, in, in uh, St. Bernard and throughout the city as we address the issue of whether it's a good idea or not to build a port um, uh, in St. Bernard. So that's a, a very important reason to um, uh, see Kevin's film. Now, Jason's um, film that he's gonna uh, talk about, uh, I have to say I have seen and I love, um, partially because you know things are so dire and to have um, something you can laugh at is really important. And there's um, a lot of laughs, a lot of pathos as well, of course, too, as we deal with people and places. So uh, Jason, um, why don't you uh, give us a little heads up? Uh, so thank you for having me today. I'm Jason Wagenspack. I'm uh, uh, the co-founder and uh, head of possibilities, also known as the CEO of the Ranch Film Studios and also the founder and CEO of Neutral Ground Films, which uh, produced The True Don Quixote, starring Tim Blake Nelson and Jacob Batalon. Um, but uh, yes, thank you for that. Uh, Don Quixote is a fun little tale. It is, you know, it is the uh, the epitome of the um, uh, Miguel uh, Cervantes true uh, uh, Don Quixote, but set in modern day St. Bernard. So it is a fun, modern, classic telling of, uh, of a funny little man who kind of gets lost in his own way and finds his way through town and meeting uh, ultimately some very interesting folks. So uh, it is a great little fun adventure film that we are looking forward for you all to check out at Cravath next week, or excuse me, this coming weekend. This, this Sunday, yeah. This Sunday. It's right here. Let me start with you, since your story, in a way, has the earliest legs, so to speak, of, of uh, the three films. You're dealing with uh, the Native American population in your area, in particular the Homa Nation, if I'm, if I'm uh, correct. And um, that is, a, in a way, uh, um, precedes uh, the, the discussions we're going to hear from uh, Kevin and Jason. So if you would like to start off, I'd appreciate you giving us a little bit more about your film. And I, I, I really want to know why you did it and what you were hoping people would get from seeing it. Um, yeah, uh, my Louisiana love, uh, you know, really <clears throat> was born out of a desire to, to visibilize the um, erased histories and current realities of indigenous people who live here in the Mississippi River Delta. And, um, and also to expose the legacy of oil and gas and also um, the decisions that have been made on behalf of corporations and the federal government, uh, all in the name of progress and ports. Um, really and um how the side effects um have generational consequences 
And uh, when I first started filming, you know, it was just me with my elders, specifically with my grandmother, who is kind of the star of the of the story, Armentine Marie Billot-Verdin, um, who was born in 1915 and really was my um, my educator about who and where I come from. And, um, you know, the intention when I first started gathering, it was really to just gather. I was just kind of, you know, fresh out of high school and trying to make sense of the world and learned of toxic waste pits in people's backyards, uh, which were my family's. And then how that story snowballed um, uh, after learning about the extreme land loss that has happening at the ends of the bayous and connecting that to the story of our land and water rights being stolen from Homa people in the early 1900s, 1920s, 1930s, um, and how that creates forced migrations and the, how that is also paired with, you know, a legacy of discrimination here. So um, I think that when Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005, that's really when I went from being a documenter of, you know, my own family to then kind of the camera turning and my collaborator, Mark Krasnoff, who um, it, it was was and is a much loved character um, who's since passed, but he and um, my other collaborator, Sharon Lenezo Hong, really, you know, was us carrying the story through and connecting that kind of moment of, of Katrina when it was like, the water rushed in and then the oil spill happened in St. Bernard Parish. So my Homa ancestors migrated from the Yaknishido and Terrebonne Lafouche Parish, which of course is just, and is still in the midst of um, trying to put the pieces back together after being struck by Hurricane Ida last year. So I really think that the My Louisiana Love Story is not over, it continues. Um, but this small little window is a really intimate, um, I think it's a really intimate journey. And um, like I said, you know, I did not intend to be like my life being on a screen, but that kind of happened in the process. And so it is a really personal narrative um, and intergenerational story. And, um, and yeah, you know, goes through the cycles of generations of, you know, from the oil and gas companies coming in to the oil and gas canals being dredged to the waste pits being put in people's backyard to Hurricane Katrina to then the BP oil spill. So, which all of that sounds really like, oh, we've just been like under assault. And, and as my grandmother would say when she finished watching the film, that's for real. Um, but I do think that there is sweet beauty um, and, um, and, and real witness and voices um, that we've been really honored to, to help share with the world and um, sweet characters. So, um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to you um, uh, and, and ask you the question of, of uh, to, to what extent people continue to want to be in this threatened place, because this is, of course, a dialogue we're all going through right now. Um, the threat of climate change is creeping closer and sooner um, than uh, was originally predicted some time ago. And I, I hear about it every day because my husband's involved in that. And um, he, he keeps saying, we're going to have to migrate. We're going to have to migrate. <laughs> um, some people are having already to do that. So 
but uh, interestingly, Kevin, you um, have covered from not the personal side, but from the actual sort of documentation side of the kind of um, development that uh, Monique is referring to as destructive to people and, and environment in your coverage of the development of what we, we call Mr. Go. Um, so let's take it from your perspective of um, the dangers that um, that particular project presented as one of many. Sure. <clears throat> um, actually, uh, uh, with Louisiana having a reputation of uh, of the surreal being real, uh, uh, I think what we probably what many of us, a lot of us in the uh, making films that are uh, dealing with uh, Louisiana and including the environmental issues, um, I think that uh, you know we're we're looking at the impact of environmental change on people. I often say my work is about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And, um, and I think with Monique's film, um, which I have seen more than once, uh, very nice film. And, um, <clears throat> uh, and by the way, uh, for those of you out there, Jason, um, uh, casting Tim Blake Nelson as Don Quixote in St. Bernard is just inspired. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Um, for those of you who don't know him, and you know, the legend of Buster Scruggs and Delmar and uh, Brother Where Art Thou and, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, to get back, um, yeah, I've, I've included, and I always include uh, fishermen, scientists, um, residents, politicians, and and I try to contextualize uh, the different points of view um, to explain briefly uh, the Mr. Go created a kind of funnel effect where flooding came into New Orleans after Katrina. Um, I was asked to begin this movie, uh, uh, my colleague, Dr. Bob Thomas at Loyola's Center for Environmental Communication, brought me into a project he was doing with a grad student uh, on the Mr. Go to explain the danger everyone was in before Katrina. So we have footage and interviews from before Katrina and then Katrina happened. And then mm -hmm. I, I said to Bob, oh, we need to keep with the story uh, and follow it for the next few years. Um, uh, before we, we can actually produce something that's a context that makes sense for people and, and would be the lesson learned. And so that's kind of how it ended up. It, we, we have film and interviews over about a 10 year period. And coincidentally, it came out 10 years ago, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but, uh, but it's still in the news. And uh, there are still people who would like to open it up They've had uh, positive changes to the St. Bernard environment since they closed it. And that is to say they closed it to traffic, uh, ship traffic. And so uh, it's not closed to fishermen and the wakes they make and all that. But, but the thing about it is, is um, uh, uh, it, it, it's it, it, essentially it, it 
change the salinity in the area and therefore uh, ruin the marsh. For your listeners, uh, Louisiana is um, the uh, Louisiana is, is the most profound uh, victim of climate change and sea level rise of anywhere on the planet, because uh, we have the problem of subsidence as well as rising sea level. Um, so we will be affected by rising sea level more so than just about anywhere on the planet. Um, uh, so Bob, your husband, and talking about migrations, I think it's interesting um, uh, that Monique is talking about uh, migrations and what has happened to her people. Uh, Deltas change a lot uh, just by uh, regular forces, but uh, but the way that we've managed this and uh, and used it, abused it, et cetera, that's um, it's been profound and and those stories are important to get out and, um, you know, so I hope that explains uh, where we are. We, we have interviews from the head of the port at the time uh, uh, and New Orleans is here because of the port. We're at the end of the Mississippi River. And so the port is the most important uh, reason for being. Uh, but we have uh, interviews before with him and interviews after. He admits the mistake after. But at the time, they were kind of giving that political thing of we have to work together and we have to make all this happen and you know keep the Mr. Go open and all this other kind of thing, knowing that it was destroying the marsh. Um, so it's an interesting look at how the arguments. It's another theme in my work is how do we communicate about the environment, you know, and how do we fool ourselves? How do we fool others? How do we say meaningful things? How do we do ultimately meaningful things? So I was just about to ask you, as you said that, um, and I want to come back to Monique for a minute before we go to Jason for um, relief. <laughs> but um, uh, what, what do you feel the key lessons from uh, your, what happened with Mr. Go are for us going forward. And, and Monique, I'm gonna ask you the same question about what the lessons are that come from your production and, and the experience that your family and um, your relatives and, and your community um, had. So Kevin, uh, what, what did you want people to learn from your film? It's a good question. Um, I think, uh, uh, first of all, uh, somewhat, and this is true for political discussions generally, is everything these days is anecdotal. And, uh, and uh, people have points of view. There are certain points of view that are valid and different uh, or, or thought to be reasonable and valid. And yet, um, ultimately, um, uh, you know, turn out to be true. Uh, for many, many years, people have denied climate change, period. That discussion has changed now. Politicians are saying, well, we need to do this or we need to do that to deal with climate change after decades of, uh, of uh, denying it. And uh, so, you know, the lesson, the lessons there are, 
even something uh, and and Mr. Go was was uh, opened in the '60s, a time where it was more it was the post economic attitude uh, post World War II, uh, and mm -hmm. so economics was uh, started with a bigger E than environment. Uh, nowadays we realize that. Uh, maybe they should have equal sizes, if not environment be bigger, if we're all going to stay here. So. Monique, what, 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 to, what are the lessons you hope people take away from your film? I, I think that my real desire to make the film, you know, was not to like expose all these personal stories, really, but was to put into you know, people's consciousness, why South Louisiana matters, and it's not crawfish and carnival, it's that we are a power point for the planet. And we can talk about that in the, the other E word, energy, but we can also talk about it in biodiversity, and that this is a place where water comes to be purified, and that indigenous people have been living in relationship with these lands and waters for a very long time. And 10 years ago, when the my Louisiana Love came out, the conversations around climate change were not what they are now. I mean, we had just gotten used to like talking about wetlands and why they're important and making sense of that and, you know, what the Mr. Go was, you know, it was kind of this invisible thing that all of a sudden brought the ocean into people's homes. Um, and I think that, you know, really um, what's happening here is a warning of what's to come um, and ha is coming and has been happening and all of the consequences. So, you know, I think that um, as time went on, we, we were afraid that my, we were behind the time when My Louisiana Love came out, like old news, right? BP oil spill, old news, Hurricane Katrina, old news. And um, yes, it is old news, but those realities are still happening. And I think that you know, this microcosm that we're all living in um, is really has a lot to learn and there's a lot to teach. And so, you know, we were we didn't have an answer. Um, people really at the end when we were getting towards the end of our editing and post production, folks were really trying to push us to, like, have some sort of solution. And um, we don't know a solution. We don't know what the answer is, but we have to talk about it. And we have to be real about it. And I also think where we're at right now, you know, as time's gone, time has gone on, you know, I was once a person who was like, yes, we have to run to the hills, like, let's all pack up and go. And um, the reality is, is that we cannot run from climate change. Like, you may be able to get out of the water, but you're not going to be able to get out of the wind or the floods that have happened in Kentucky and all of these things that are happening all the time, the fires out west. So, you know, I think that... Um, you know, there was a process where we were sitting around, it was kind of like therapy for our team, and we all had to come up with one sentence about what the film meant for us. And my one sentence was, when you lose your sense of place, your family is your home. And with every hurricane, I am reminded how mutual aid, how community, how um, the natural resources, how having access to water, while having a place, safe place to be, how those things, our values shift in a second. Um, when the electricity goes off, you know, so I think that, um, yeah, my Louisiana love is just one family's little slice of life uh, and how, um, you know, the, these global issues 
come down to the very, very personal um, experience. So even though I am uh, not originally from this region, although I've been here for over 50 years, I hope that counts, but um, I joke lately that I'm from the South, Bronx, <laughs> have that pause in between. But um, when I uh, came here and my husband, um, his daughter, my stepdaughter, married into the Serenier family from Delacroix, and I got um, early exposure to uh, things that were going on in St. Bernard and also worked with America's wetlands. So um, got into realizing things that were happening in the loss of our wetlands. So it's, it's hard to escape. It's very powerful. Um, but uh, you, you talk about you can't run. So um, they lost their home, the Serenier's, um, Corey Serenier and, and Snow Serenier. Uh, they moved up to Dedham Springs and um, not too long ago, if you recall, I forget the river, Emit, I think it is, that flooded. And the water was literally up to their doorstep um, in Dedham Springs. So it, it's true, you just can't run. It's, it's everywhere. Um, now, Jason, I, I did emphasize that um, your, your film uh, has its moments that are, quite frankly, just plain hilarious. Um, but there's a lot of pathos in it also, and it relates to the very same things we're talking about. And I found myself kind of laughing and smiling through almost tears in my eyes because um, what you were witnessing was a life that um, was going nowhere. And then this individual shapes a fantasy that, um, you know, uh, being expressed in St. Bernard, uh, so chasing oil rigs instead of windmills, um, is one of the images that uh, always sticks with me, but also the image of him sitting in his little cubbyhole of a space with his books and papers around him, um, where clearly he's trying to uh, live through the lives of others rather than his own, um, was, was um, uh, touching and really reached me. So um, tell me about um, how this film came about and what you were trying to accomplish with it. And again, as I say, it's, it is entertaining. There's no doubt about it, but uh, it also uh, carries a message. Jason. So the, the writer-director, uh, Chris Poche, had come to um, first Trey and Beth Burvant, um, who then came and partnered with me and, and pitched me this, this really crazy idea to do the, like I said, the book, uh, Don Quixote in modern day St. Bernard. And, um, and as I, I read the script, I, I really enjoyed it. I had a great laugh and really just had a fun time with it and thought we could do it um, at a, a relatively uh, decent cost. Uh, and uh, obviously having a lot of resources here in St. Bernard with the studio uh, and with my network here, it, it ended up working out very well. But it's funny that you, you mentioned that fact because, you know, yes, we aren't uh, this film is not about you know heavy environmental issues or industrial issues, but it is about something that we began to realize as we started showing it to audiences before we released it. It's a lot about mental health and something that is very prevalent today. Um, and you you know your audience may or may not know this, but Don Quixote is the oldest novel ever written. And if you think about it, the first novel was about mental health. And so it's this you know it's silly little man who gets lost in his own town. And as you said, you know, ends up going after fighting 
uh, windmills that he thinks are dragons at the time and befriends a donkey and, you know, goes along his merry way and, and gathers people in the community that become his friends for no reason whatsoever, other than the enjoyable factor that this man is utterly insane in the book. And you began to see that in the story, but you feel a love and an affection for him throughout the movie that allows for the community to get behind him and want to be helpful towards him and get him to the, uh, you know, the ultimate goal along the path uh, that he's trying to uh, end up reasoning with at the end of the story, which you, again, you'll see. And so, you know, again, the two stories from Kevin and Monique, you know, a, a lot of what our character is going through in our movie is unfortunately what some of the people in our community have gone through because of those things where they feel lost and, you know, they, they really are just trying to find a way. And sometimes we as a community don't necessarily understand what's going on in that individual's mind, but it just takes us to uplift each other to hopefully allow for that to resolve and become, you know, a bigger part of the community. And again, that is what we began to see after we started making a comedy that people were coming up to us and saying, I really didn't think about it this way, but I have, you know, a relative with mental health or, you know, I've had my own problems with mental health. And this really allowed for me to just enjoy that side of what I went through or what my relatives have gone through because of the fact that I can see it in this character. So uh, it was a, it was a great project. We had a, like I said, we had a really great time here in St. Bernard making it used everybody we could and everything we could in this community. This community was wonderful getting behind us and, uh, you know, we're really proud of, of what we made. So I think um, that uh, it, it's, it's, it's an affecting uh, film, as you uh, have said, and, um, and, and people are telling you. What's interesting to me also, though, is that uh, not only um, is there sympathy for this other individual who's having um, mental health issues, but the truth of the matter is right now, uh, as we come out of all these crises that um, Monique, uh, both Monique and Kevin have listed, um, we're in a period right now uh, that is very peculiar. I think that we are experiencing um, a kind of um, a, a very sort of existential confusion about what is actually going on. We have a lot of really a dramatic political and environmental developments on one layer in our world, on the whole earth. And then in our own lives coming out of the pandemic, a lot of, of people have really shifted gears to the extent that they've left something, but they, ha they haven't necessarily found something. They haven't really resolved um, where they're going. So I feel like there's a lot of um, mental confusion going on right now. I, I, I myself deliberate what am I experiencing? Am I having post-COVID or am I just tired of what I'm doing? Or, um, But when I talk to other people, I find a lot of people saying the same thing about a level of uncertainty, I think is maybe the, the key word um, about the world we live in um, here. But um, And it's, it's, it has a special character here, but it nonetheless is pervasive throughout communities. So I'm, I'm interested to hear how you all are experiencing this now. Um, we have an incredible um, opportunity through the filmmaking that's going on in the city right now. And Jason, you may wanna just um, put a, a, a bit of an exclamation point on that because I think we still have to help people uh, here and around the state understand the value of the film industry. So it, it's, it, there's so many layers to it. And I, I really want to uh, bring that point home too. 
Um, but then also there's the question of, you know, what, what's your next project, each of you, um, as you uh, try to think about how to tell stories that relate to what we're going through. So Jason, you know, give us that context, first of all, about the filmmaking that's going on here. It's really quite remarkable. And I don't think most, most people really have a grasp of it. Yeah, so, you know, the film industry, the commercial film industry has been coming to the state of Louisiana for over 100 years. People don't realize the first movie that was ever filmed here was in 1898. The biggest studio production movie that was first filmed here was Tarzan of the Apes in 1918. But we began to boom here uh, in the very early 2000s with a tax credit program, incentive program that allowed for uh, productions to come and film here and, and really kind of uh, helped boost our tourism economy and obviously created a lot of jobs and brought a lot of money here. Um, you hear a lot about economic development nowadays in the news. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, the film industry uh, over the last three years has averaged a billion dollars in spending. That's a billion with a B in the state of Louisiana uh, in the last uh, three years. And we're looking to see a major increase in that this year and in the subsequent years due to the fact that the amount of content being produced commercially has just exploded. And so um, we're seeing um, over 10,000 jobs annually. That number will increase as well uh, for our local economy. We're seeing over $350 million in local payroll out of that billion dollars. And, uh, and so that, that's a really big deal that's happening into the state of Louisiana right now. And so uh, being on the board of the Louisiana Film Entertainment Association and obviously um, being the head of, the, of a studio here in the greater uh, New Orleans area, it's, it's very the important ranch. for me to, yeah, the ranch, sorry, it's very important for me to uh, distinguish to people what it is that that impact is. I and mean, you, you, you have to realize that if you didn't have that, where does a billion dollars come in uh, into uh, the economics of, uh, uh, of our area? And so that's a massive industry that's uh, that's here and is growing exponentially. And what's happening from that is the mere fact that you know we're we're taking dollars from uh, the tax incentive that has been given and we're putting it back into the communities and workforce development and education and really trying to give back to filmmakers because you know at the end of the day with Kevin and Monique here on the uh, um, uh, on this panel we need you all as well as others to become successful. We really harness the fact that our locals need to find and build companies to support us uh, here in the state of Louisiana. And it's obviously a big boon for these companies to come in from outside the state, inside the state to put money down uh, that helps obviously the financial occurrence, but uh, the workforce development and education programs that we've developed are really hopefully going to um, give a, a nice shot in the arm for folks uh, here locally to uh, to really make their mark, tell great stories, find careers, and build companies out of those things. Because at the end of the day, I think Gene, you you noticed it here in Louisiana for the 50 years that you've been here. We have stories abound, and we have so many creatives here. It is unbelievable, and just getting the air under a couple of them uh, to uh, see the light of day and really be able to continue down the path of telling great stories and hopefully, like I said, building business out of it. Is, uh, is something that I, I really strive for, for our community. Well, I have to say that, um, again, when uh, uh, earlier when I not very first came here, but soon after, and then I was very focused on the, the importance and the need for growing our film and video and media industries here, there was a lot of talk, but no action. It wasn't happening. Yeah. 
There was everybody saying, we need a film studio, we need a film studio, and it, it just wasn't happening. And most of the film work that was being done here was location-based, not production. And so that comes and goes. And um, not that production can't come and go as well, but production is a whole different level of, of the industry. And, and uh, building studios and making it possible for production to happen here, uh, that took a lot of work and it took some brave people like yourself and Sydney and Susan Brennan and other people like that who have uh, stepped forth and um, really made the commitment required to, to really build the infrastructure for the industry. Making films alone is, is, is an act of bravery. I mean, that's, it's really an incredible the amount of risk and energy and financial commitment that it takes to do films. But to get studios open um, was really critical. And, um, and I am still concerned about, um, I think you have a, a, some threats or some, let's say, um, concerning times coming up next year, would you mind just mentioning that? Because I think people really need to understand that we do have to fight for this. We can't take it for granted. Yeah, so we have a fiscal session coming up in 2023 um, uh, where we need to extend the sunset on our tax credit program. Our tax credit program sunsets in 2025, uh, but this coming uh, spring in April of next year, we will be sitting in front of the legislative body and uh, obviously trying to extend that program. We're gonna go out and ask for another 10 years due to the success that we've had over the last 20, but mostly in the last 10 has really uh, exponentially grown in the mere fact that uh, again, that those numbers have been rising, job numbers have been rising. Uh, and the fact that again, we're, we're building a industry around the fastest growing economy in the nation, which is digital media. And we've had a really great head start here and again, we have a lot of wonderful, talented people that are working nonstop. In fact, we can't seem to educate them fast enough, um, but we're pushing them through systems and finding uh, that a lot of the, um, the workplace development programs with uh, Novak and IATSE are seeing you know, up to 90 to 95% uh, uh, job rate uh, employment directly out of their training programs, which is really wow, fantastic to hear. High. So you're, you're really, um, you're seeing an industry and a growth at the perfect time. And we're in the right place at the right time, knowing that we've built it up over the years. And we're going to take advantage of this next five to 10 years of this industry that's, uh, again, exploded. Uh, it was starting to explode pre-COVID. COVID really threw the match onto the gasoline fire because of the fact that we all could not produce movies and we all sat at home and watched Netflix and HBO and Amazon and now you don't have anything else to watch. Well, they got to produce more so that you can continue clicking that button to watch more. And, and that's why we're seeing, um, uh, again, the, uh, the massive amount of content wanting to come in to Louisiana and be produced. So we're proud of that and uh, we look forward uh, to continuing that effort. But you're right, in 2023, um, we will be up for a vote and, uh, and hopefully we have everybody's support. And I think we're in a good place for that. Let me go back to uh, what I was going to uh, follow up with uh, as we 
um, close out, uh, which we're not quite ready to do, but uh, each of you tell me uh, what is a project that is on your drawing board coming up, whether it's tomorrow or um, sometime further in the future. Um, Monique, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I can speak to one project I'm really excited about. Um, it's in collaboration with uh, Mondo Bizarro and a project called Invisible Rivers. But we have a piece of infrastructure that we're calling the Float Lab. And um, the Float Lab can be used both on land or on water. It can be used as a performance space, an exhibition space. We are in conversation with Ripple Effect, which is a water literacy um, a curriculum building organization that works in um, public schools here in, in Bulbuncha, New Orleans. Um, so that's really exciting, and it's actually on um, it's on the property at Crevasse 22, and um, won't be activated on Sunday. But looking forward to activations out there in the very near future. You know, you mentioned the word Bulbuncha, and I have to admit that it took me 50 years to hear the word and understand what it is, but that is a Native American name for New Orleans. Um, I, and with some particular association with the Jackson Square area, which was a meeting grounds or a, a trading point. And um, Tana just did a show on Jackson Square that's at the historic New Orleans Museum. I have to point out because it's gonna close on the 28th of August, so get there and see it. Um, everybody on the screen, please. Uh, it's, it's really pretty spectacular, but Bulbancha, that's where we are. Yeah, just to, just to kind of add a little bit more, Bulbuncha is actually a Choctaw word, Shara word, um, that means place of babbling languages or place of many languages. And um, I just like to remind people that uh, the colonizers came in and did a very successful job at rebranding uh, this site as New Orleans, um, but that uh, this place is still living up to its name and is why it um, just as it, I was saying, it's a PowerPoint for the planet. It's a magnet as well, where water and people and cultures are passing through. So, so I just think it's amazing, actually, that this meeting of cultures goes all the way back. We think it's a it, it is more current, but it, it really its roots are deep, and that was what was fascinating to me. Yes, of many tongues for sure, way way back. Um, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good layers there uh, to what you were just talking about, um, and all. I'd, uh, New Orleans and Louisiana have many have had layers and layers and layers of stories, and it's a creative community. Uh, one of our greatest assets is is our creativity here, where where we kind of have that feel and our uh, and that should I say freedom uh in certain ways to to do that um Next the other time. the other the other thing uh i think that's important uh, uh jason mentioning uh uh the workforce and infrastructure super important uh it's been uh, since 2000 it's been worked on and being built and it still has a ways to go and uh the tax credits have a great deal to uh do with that, and so that's that's important. I'm glad you uh, you gave us that uh, kind of aha moment uh, there. It's like there's a lot of things that happen here that uh, that we say aha to, 
um, and things that that kind of are everyday things that uh, that uh, uh, we overlook um, because they are so familiar and yet they they are extraordinary. Um, I'll mention uh, I've got a few projects going on, uh, two major projects. Most of my projects have ended up on TV, uh, kind of, you know, regional uh, uh, PBS type stations. Um, I, I currently, I'll have another showing, uh, a showing of my most recent film, Eternal Flow, uh, uh, at Dockville in St. Bernard on the 18th of August. Um, uh, Jean, I, I know I already asked you, could I plug that? So, so uh, uh, things going on in St. Bernard here, film-wise. Um, uh, one project that I'll mention that I've already begun, well, two or three projects, but uh, Prosperity in Louisiana, Louisiana's value to the rest of the world. And that's uh, looking at it from an economic standpoint, but then also uh, from uh, the future uh, of economics as well. Um, uh, you mentioned, Jason, uh, um, uh, how we're building um, the workforce. The green energy workforce here is available, ready to work, et cetera, um, as a lot of these quote unquote energy and formerly gas and oil companies uh, uh, transition. Um, we have a lot of uh, uh, good, uh, uh, we've got boat captains, we've got welders, we've got people who know how to do things. So that hidden workforce is there. Uh, Eternal Flow deals with um, how we relate to the Mississippi River. Uh, and also from uh, the last half hour are, is uh, interviews with creative people um, uh, and artists, et cetera. I, uh, in another movie I did, um, we used um, uh, the Cry You One performance group, which is a talented group that Monique just referenced with Mondo Bizarro and um, uh, Art spot, and uh, we've just had a wonderful explosion since Katrina of performance artists here. Anyway, and then the, finally, the the movie I just started to reference is a movie called Habitat, and uh, there's a lot of digital work and small videos out about a little bit here and there of how we relate to the marsh, the wetlands, the delta, and our great bounty of seafood and all the other things, but um, I don't believe that anybody's put together a, um, a documentary for television that kind of shows how that bounty happens. Um, so we've already gone out um, to what's called Weeks Island, which is uh, a shell midden. Uh, Native Americans um, were peopling. Uh, and we talked about what people were eating out of the habitat a thousand years ago. Because again, I think um, uh, there are many lessons to be learned by the people who were here before colonialism uh, on how to live in the Delta and the land and all and uh, ways to deal with uh, it. And it may be that, uh, gee, slab houses are just not the way to go right now. And we could have learned from other things. But anyway, 
how we deal with the habitat, how it deals with us, how it forms us. Uh, that's one of my next projects. Thank you. Now, Jason, I can't resist. I, I, I do want to give you a chance to say what you what some new project that's coming up. But um, I, I really, uh, this has been a very kind of serious show. And um, uh, I wish I had a little bit more of the late night uh, guys' uh, talents and in, in, uh, lightening things up on occasion, but it's not one of my strong suits. But um, what was your favorite um, moment uh, uh, in, in, in Don Quixote that was both funny, I mean, just plain called funny, but also had that pathos that I've talked about. Or let me just let me just phrase it more simply. What was one of your favorite scenes in that film? My favorite scene you all will see in the first quarter of the film, but it's when Tim Blake Nelson comes out and reveals himself as Don Quixote in his full garb yeah. and how he actually put it together to me is brilliant. And so you will see it. That's my favorite part because Honestly, we've hint. done so because, much work I mean, up into that hint. point. Up into that point. About the hardware. Let's just say he had a spaghetti strainer as a helmet. But other than that, you're going to have to just use your imagination on everything else that he had in there. But we had put so much work into that costume and who he was going to become. And it was in the early days. It was like the second day, I think, that we were filming that we actually did that scene. And it, that's where it kind of became real. Like you'd gotten past the first day jitters. The second day, it was just kind of that aha, like we actually are doing this. And this is the story we're going to tell about this man who's personifying this character that you've now just been revealed to uh, on the front porch. So again, you'll you'll have a little bit of that. But, you know, if it. If you want to know what we're doing, you know, at Neutral Ground, we have a lot of IP. We've been uh, procuring a lot of books. Uh, we've been working on a lot of pitch decks. We've been out um, to quite a few people. We're negotiating several deals with podcasts um, on some really fantastic local stories. Um, I finished directing a, uh, a documentary short called uh, Abby's Story, which is about medicinal marijuana and the use of it with severely autistic children. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff that we're working on, but my big focus right now is kind of what I talked with you all about in regards to, um, the boom that's happening in the industry. And so my main focus is building our space into, um, something larger so that we can host more productions because we're full at the moment and I can't stop getting phone calls. So what do you do in business? You, you, you expand the business. And so that's been my primary focus is that and the new technology that's happening in our business right now. Um, we've gone from green and blue and black screens to now LED panel walls. And so we're, we're really focusing on being, um, you know, state of the art and, uh, and really focusing on what's the path forward. What are our, our clients wanting in good vendors and just doing a lot of research in that department. So that has taken up the majority of my time along with politics in the last six months. So uh, it's been fun, but well, last but not least, you need to know this, and your audience needs to know this. The last television show uh, that just wrapped here, I can't tell you who's here now, but who just wrapped here a couple months ago was uh, Interview with a Vampire. And today, they actually released their long-awaited, um, long trailer, and uh, it will be out October the 6th. So please, everybody, go watch it, love it. Uh, and hopefully uh, they will come back for multiple seasons here to tell the Anne Rice story because I think it's going to be such a huge ordeal 
for this area and for this state to have uh, more eyeballs in Louisiana, especially stuff that's that's actually about Louisiana, uh, which will be really great. So looking forward to that to be released. So, um, folks, I, I think you uh, have experienced uh, some of the brilliance, the creativity, the determination, the bravery um, of our um, filmmakers in this city uh, who are joined by many others, as uh, they have been saying. And I'm, I'm thrilled and proud. Way back when I first came here, I was hoping this might happen. I did a few things to try to stimulate it when Cox Cable first came in. Uh, history, but um, this is very important what's happening. And I hope it continues to grow. And I particularly am amazed at, and, and impressed and, and hopefully that its development in St. Bernard Parish continues. Uh, and, and brings um, a lot of um, um, health and, and uh, frankly, some wealth and um, uh, better understanding about um, our people from the days of the original Bulbansha to now. Thank you so very much, um, all of you for participating. And I really look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Um, uh, I'm not sure, I think most of you are gonna be available, I hope so. And so in addition to showing the films, we'll have a little bit of opportunity for more interaction with our audience um, during that time as well. And uh, it's gonna be beautiful out there, I'm sure. Uh, maybe warm uh, and uh, maybe a little bit of rain, but it's such a gorgeous spot with um, the pond that once was a bayou that is was dug into a pond by the crevasse that happened in 1922. Um, that's the name Crevasse 22 River House, kind of a crazy name, it's my fault. Um, I was just so impressed with um, what came of uh, a crevasse in that area. And um, it's uh, a great place to view these sculptures and art in the garden and as well, uh, art inside the building and the films that will be shown. So everybody, Sunday, the 14th, from 11 until five, we will be open. And by the way, we'll be serving some movie theater-like refreshments such as popcorn, maybe, I hope and uh, hot dogs and uh, some lemonade. And um, so uh, you can be refreshed uh, in the breaks um, throughout the day. So with that, um, thank you, Kevin McCaffrey, you. Yeah. Jason Wagensback, Monique Ferdan, and um, look forward to seeing you all soon. And uh, everybody else in the audience, uh, I hope that uh, this wet weather is of benefit. I know it's been a little challenging, but. I'm watching a lot of green stuff pop out of the ground and I think that's a good thing. So this is Crosstown Conversations, G. Nathan on WBOK, what people are talking about and we'll be back next week. Bye.